0: That we have a Puro Air running in our bedroom, so check it out at getpuroair.com. That's g e t p u r o a i r dot com. One more time, getpuroair.com. Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. If you've been a listener here for a while, you'll know that minimalism goes beyond stuff. I am thrilled to share today's guests, Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus, otherwise known as The Minimalists. Today, they'll dive deeper into the seven essential relationships in our lives, stuff, truth, self, money, values, creativity, and people, and how minimalism makes room in our lives to reevaluate and heal these areas. I was beyond excited to have this conversation with the two of them. They were so down to earth, and I think that element of the conversation honestly just shines through. So I can't wait for you to hear it. But before we get to the conversation, I wanted to encourage you to leave a rating and review if you haven't done so yet. Leaving a rating and review on iTunes is the best way you can help this podcast succeed and grow. So for those of you who didn't catch Friday's bonus episode, really the bonus episodes aren't necessarily going to speak to my entire audience. I always hope that the episodes I release on Tuesday cover a lot more of my base. However, I love the bonus episodes because you can pick and choose what interests you. All that to say, on that episode, I shared how I wanted this beginning part to feel a lot more conversational and not so stuffy. What I wanted to share is, again, a post from last week about my suitcase and how I packed all three of my kids and myself into one suitcase for our trip and i wanted to note that we did have access to a washer dryer which makes it a heck of a lot easier usually if my husband and i are traveling by ourselves we'll pop into a laundromat midway through our trip depending on how long we're gone but really what i try to do for trips is just make little capsule wardrobes and it's weird because i don't actually have a capsule wardrobe in my day-to-day but i find putting a capsule wardrobe for a vacation so much easier And I always give the example of when I was pregnant in New York City, barely anything fit me at that point. So I went with limited options and my getting ready each day was so straightforward because I had one of three dresses. While the other two women that I was there with were always struggling in the morning, I was like, well, I know what I'm going to wear. It's one of these three options. And again, maybe that sounds boring to someone that's more of a fashionista. I would say I do love clothes and I want my clothes to look good on me. Of all that to say, I'm also about convenience, so I know that everything in my closet does look good on me. I've whittled it down to make sure that anything I throw on in that season will fit my body and will fit my style. Anyways, back to the luggage. In that post, I just went through some of the things that I packed for my kids, and it really just came down to four t-shirts, four pairs of shorts, a pair of active sandals, a pair of PJs, which I said my kids aren't really big into PJs. They usually wear their clothes to bed, which is where the washer and dryer came in really handy. But we were also on a beach trip when we were in bathing suits for the majority of our time, so you may just chalk it up to circumstances that we were able to do this this time around. But I would highly encourage you to pack 50% less next time than you usually usually do and see if it does make a difference. I always say, even in your home, you can live with far less than you think you can just give it a shot. So that's one of my thoughts this week. Again, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I think you're going to really love this interview with the minimalist. Even my husband gave this one a thumbs up. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Joshua, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today on the minimalist moms podcast.
1: Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. Happy to be here.
0: Yes, absolutely. As I told you before we got on the call, I have been following your work for some time now, so I'm excited to have you here today. And for anyone that doesn't know maybe a little bit of your background, I'll go ahead and let you introduce yourselves, and then we'll get into the topic of your new book, which I can't wait for people to get their hands on and discuss more. But go ahead and just maybe give a brief introduction of who you guys are.
2: Sure, about a dozen years ago, I stumbled across this idea of minimalism. My mother died, my marriage ended both in the same month, and those two events forced me to look around and start to question well, everything in my life really the the stuff the so called success, achievement, the status, et cetera. You know I grew up really poor, so did ryan. We've known each other since we were fat little fifth graders, <laughs> and I thought money and status and achievement were going to make me happy and content. Because that's the meme we've been sold by culture and by society and by our peer groups. And so, uh, of course, as I climbed that corporate ladder throughout my 20s, I didn't find happiness. I certainly found bits of, of pleasure, but then I realized that all the things I thought were going to make me happy were often doing the opposite after I had attained them. I got the things I wanted, and it turns out that everything I ever wanted wasn't actually what I wanted. And mm-hmm. so this idea of minimalism allowed me to start to question the things that I brought into my life. And eventually it started, I mean, it started with the stuff, right? But dealing with the external clutter, that's just a symptom, right? Our, our material mm-hmm. possessions are a physical manifestation of what's going on inside us. So as I let go of the external clutter, I was able to look inside and start dealing with some of that internal clutter, the the mental clutter, the spiritual clutter, the emotional clutter, the familial clutter, the career clutter. And people around me noticed a profound change that uh, there was some sort of shift in me. Uh, people noticed I was less stressed. I was calmer. And then Ryan, who is my best friend, you know, we even worked in the corporate world together. He came to me and, and he asked, hey, man, why, why the hell are you so happy lately? Mm-hmm. And so I told him about this thing called minimalism.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, was, I was in the same spot as as Josh here uh, living the corporate dream, or uh, what really was actually kind of a corporate nightmare, and I, I did not have control of my time. I didn't have control of my finances. I was, I was very out of control. And you know, I, I coped in the worst ways possible uh, with drugs and, and alcohol and any, any other ephemeral ephemeral pleasures I could, I could get my hands on. And it, it, you know, just as any drug addict will tell you, like they, they eventually stop working. And um, I had to find something to really help me make a, a deeper change. And so, yeah, I saw Josh, he was setting up boundaries that I've never seen him set up before. He was happier. He was, he was uh, moving through life a little easier. So yeah, I went to him and I asked him, hey, why the hell are you so happy? And mm-hmm. when he introduced me to this thing called minimalism, what I saw was some really common sense stuff. It was. Uh, uh, it's unfortunate that you know uh, I, I didn't really have uh, common sense. In fact, common sense these days is is really kind of uncommon. But I saw an opportunity for me to regain control of my time, for me to regain control of my finances. So I looked at Josh and I'm like, "All right, man, I'm in. I want to be a minimalist. What, what should I do now? Because I, I didn't really know where to start. So Josh uh, and I, we came up with this idea called a packing party, where I decided to pack all my belongings as if I were moving. And then I would unpack only the items I needed over the next three weeks. So Josh came over and he literally helped me box up everything: my clothes, my kitchenware, my towels, my TVs, my electronics, my frame photographs and paintings, my toiletries. I mean, even my furniture. We literally like mm. pretended like I was moving. So after those three weeks, you can imagine like the first day or two I'm unpacking like my toothbrush, bed and bed sheets, clothes for work, the furniture I actually used. And after this experiment, after three weeks, I had eighty percent of my stuff still sitting in those boxes where where I packed everything up. and I just had this light bulb moment of like, wow, here are all these things I brought into my life to make me happy and they're not doing their job. And uh, that's when my perspective really started to shift with my consumption, with my impulses. And really that packing party story, that's that's where the minimalists.com started. It was with that story.
0: Yeah. And I loved reading more about the details of both of your... I guess your history with all of this in the book, and I think one of the reasons, I, just as I was kind of thinking through a packing party and actually going through that process, I feel like a lot of us might be hesitant to even take that initial step because, like you said, we are pacified by these things, or we think, "What if I need this in the future?" or "Just in case I might need this in the future," I, I don't want to. I don't want to see what I can live without. I think that's a scary thing to do. I don't know. It was just something that crossed my mind when I was reading through that. I, I feel like it's a brave step.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, it, it's funny. The the stories we tell ourselves, right? Uh, all of the the stuff is going to make us happy or secure, but security is a bit of a a misnomer in a way. You probably noticed in the book, we actually had 47 individuals and families who also decided to embark on their own version of the packing party. Now, Mm -hmm. you're right. For some folks, that is a bit too radical. So we even gave those folks three different options. You could do the whole house, or you can do just one room you could pick okay you know what I really just need somewhere to start I'm going to start with my attic or my basement or my spare bedroom or the other bathroom down the hall that has all this extra stuff in it and getting somewhere to start becoming familiar with that process of letting go well of course the more you do it the freer and happier and lighter you feel and and the more you want to throw overboard right mm-hmm. I mean it but if That is still too radical. There are plenty of other ways to simplify. You know, that's why in the book, we have 16 rules for living with less. And one of those is our 30-day minimalism game. Ryan, you want to talk about that?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, we know that decluttering can be pretty boring, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. But if you inject a little friendly competition in with it, it Mm -hmm. it becomes a little bit more fun. So yeah, Josh and I, we came up with this this game where uh, anyone can play. They find a friend or a family member, or maybe it's a group of people who want to start decluttering, people who are overwhelmed by their stuff and they they want to start letting go. Uh, They all agree to play this game and it starts on the first day of any month. And the way the game works is on the first day of the month, everyone gets rid of one item. And then on the second day of the month, everyone gets rid of two items. And then on the third day, three items, so forth and so on. It starts out. Really, really easy, right? One thing, two things, three things. But then you get to like day 19. Oh. Mm-hmm. You got to let like go 19 items. And then the next day it's 20. So whoever lasts the longest wins. And you can bet something real simple, a dinner or uh, you know maybe someone has to wear a silly hat. I don't know. I've seen all sorts <laughs> of things that people bet. But it doesn't have to be anything major. It just has to be something that you know makes it a little bit more fun. But here's the thing. If everyone makes it to the end of the month, then everyone mm-hmm. wins because every they would have gotten rid of about 500 items each. You know, Ryan and I
2: bet a million dollars when we played it. and still yeah. owes me. Wait a minute. I thought you owed me a million dollars.
0: I love it. No, it, that's such a good idea. And my sister, I was actually just talking to her and I gave her that idea. I'm like, look, this would totally work. It's just getting over that mind game that you're telling yourself that you can't live without these things that you have in your home. So I love that you guys have promoted that. And I love the minimalist. Isn't it called the men's game? You said the minimalist game. How did you, yeah. what did you call it? Oh.
2: Sometimes we call it the men's game, like M-I-N-S. Yeah, game, yeah. Because that, that's the hashtag that people share on social media. In fact, okay. you can take a look at that and, I mean, you can see tens of thousands of people who have let go and you see photos, people sort of sharing because, well, you know, doing it by yourself, as Ryan mentioned, can be boring. But if you have mm-hmm. the support and sort of the accountability of others, well, then it, it sort of propels you forward.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get into your new book. And I want to know what is different about this book. You've written other books before, but how is this one a little bit different than your previous ones?
2: Well, this one is is fundamentally it's a relationship book. Now we are we, so we've written three other books together. Our first book was called Minimalism: Live a Meaningful Life. That was sort of a self help book. The second book that we wrote was called Everything That Remains, and that was a memoir. So these two suit and tie corporate guys become minimalists. Right, it's sort of this five year journey of of letting go not just letting go of the stuff of course it starts with that but letting go of careers that weren't serving us anymore and also understanding who we are as we sort of grew out of our 20s and and into our 30s and now that we are Man, we're both turning 40 this year, Ryan. Mm, mm, I'm boycotting 40. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so what we learned you know, over the last uh, uh, seven years, oh, by the way, the third book was called Essential. It was an essay collection, 150 different essays from our website, so mm. uh, theminimalists.com. So it was sort of the best of The Minimalists website. Anyway, uh, this book is, is completely different from those in myriad ways, but mainly it's a relationship book. We, we, we set out to write a relationship book, But then we realized that, well, it's not just our relationship with other people that's important, Mm -hmm. but it's our other relationships that often get in the way of the people in our lives. So seven essential relationships. It starts with the stuff, our relationship with the stuff. And as soon as we examine that, we begin examining these other relationships, the truth, self our relationship with our values, which most of us don't even know what our values are. Our relationship with money. I mean, that's one of the most fraught relationships that breaks up marriages and businesses and, mm-hmm. and uh, makes us miserable. It's our relationship with money because of debt and consumerism associated with that. And of course, uh, our relationship with creativity, you can't talk about creativity without talking about your relationship with your distractions and particular tech distractions in our lives. We're so heavily distracted. Everyone is vying for our attention. And then finally, our relationships with people. What we try to do is heal these different relationships throughout the book.
0: What made you realize that minimalism extended beyond just this stuff? Because I, I have always felt like I needed to get it Together, I guess, in those areas outside of even my possessions, I felt like if my mind was right, then I could apply it to other areas. And then I think the possessions were just a happy accident.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it's I first realized it really after that packing party. Mm-hmm. I just remember sitting there and looking at ten thousand or uh, tens of thousands of dollars worth of stuff sitting in my my second living room, and
3: mm-hmm. thinking
1: about how there was this disconnect between. What I was doing with my my money, and uh, what I wanted to do with it, and what I wanted to do was retire early. I wanted to save. I wanted to, you know, have a nice little nest egg. But then, when I was, you know, there confronted with all my things, I realized, like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I say that saving for retirement is important, but my actions don't show that. And really, my you know, it was my first experience with kind of seeing how our priorities—they it isn't what we say they are; it's what we actually do. Because you know that twenty-eight-year-old self who did the packing party—you know—if you would have asked me, "Hey, what are your priorities?" I would have said, "Oh, it's my health. I want to—you know—you can't have a good life without your health and uh, relationships with people. You got to have good relationships with people." But when I looked at you know how I was eating. I was not eating very well. I wasn't exercising as much as I should have. I wasn't taking very good care of my body and then you know I look at my my uh, relationships with people and seen her a few times a year. So what I saw was this this physical clutter uh, that was really getting in the way of what I actually wanted to do with my time. so it was for me it was that, that's why we started the minimalists.com is mm-hmm. I realized like, oh wow, like there's so much more to talk about than just me getting rid of my stuff. Diane, you know,
2: I, I noticed you know, early on, like Ryan, as I was letting go of some stuff, I kind of realized that, that decluttering doesn't work. And here's <laughs> what I mean by that. I was a hoarder, but I was a well-organized hoarder so I wasn't really cluttered in the traditional sense. Ryan, remember you would come over to my house and I'd just have all these bins and boxes in my basement and mm-hmm. I had an ordinal system, an alphabetized system of clutter, <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's still clutter. It may not be as exciting as what we see when we see the, the TV show Hoarders, mm-hmm. right? But I was just hiding my hoard. And so in some ways it was even more pernicious because it's accepted by society to for us to Clutter our lives as long as we hide the clutter really well, and there are entire industries. Think of the Container Store; mm. they're set up to help you hide your clutter. They're aiding and abetting consumerism. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, they're not helping us at all. And so, I, what I learned is that you know, decluttering doesn't really work. If you own too much stuff, uh, if I were to send you a sixty-seven decluttering tips video. That's not going to help you. The problem is, isn't that you have a shortage of decluttering tips. Yeah. The, the problem is our attachment to stuff and, and giving it meaning and significance, treating everything as precious. But of course, if everything is precious, then nothing is. And, and yeah. what I realized as I, I started letting go is, oh, minimalism is a tool. And a carpenter doesn't think the point of carpentry is accumulating more tools. It's using those tools effectively so they can Mm -hmm. do what they want to do. Although, of course, minimalism isn't something you do. Letting go isn't something you do, right? It's something you stop doing.
3: You Mm -hmm. stop
2: pretending that everything is important. You stop clinging to all the material possessions and, and all the toxic relationships that we cling to. You stop acting like busy is a good thing you know it's a status symbol in our culture and you know, ultimately i think you stop pursuing all of these these uh achievements that well you know we, we often think our achievements we, we they get wrapped up in our identity you know mm-hmm. and and our identity we think that is us oh i am the name on my business card or the title on my business card oh i You know, I'm a mom, I'm an uncle, I'm a dad, I'm a vice president, I'm an executive, I'm a whatever. I Mm -hmm. don't care about the noun. What's much Mm -hmm. more important than the noun is the verb, how we are being right now.
0: I like how in your book you say, on a long enough timeline, everything becomes obsolete. And you talked about even cell phones that we have now or our USB or our computers or flat screens, like who knows what is going to be the trendy possession to own in 100 years from now. And these things that we say are so precious to us, it's really fleeting. You've given, I think listeners and myself as well, a lot to think about in the things that you just said, but I want to know more details about these categories that you've written about in your book. And I want to leave, I guess we'll leave stuff out of it just because I think we could honestly unpack that a lot, but let's go into these other six and there's truth, self, money, value, creativity, and people. So what is one takeaway from each of these areas? We'll start with truth and just work our way through.
2: Yeah, you know, I think the th- the truth about truth is we're lying to ourselves. And so mm-hmm. it starts with with the lies we're telling. And we we are all, you know, we've all lied to someone. We've all hurt someone with our lies, but we're also I th- I don't think we realize it. We're hurting ourselves with our lies. Mm-hmm. We're lying to ourselves. And so the truth, you know, there, there's a a great quote from David Foster Wallace, the the truth will set you free, but not until it's finished with you. And and you know it's difficult to to be honest and to to be truthful, but the rewards are plentiful. And so, understanding that it is never appropriate to to lie to someone else, but also understanding what the truth is—the capital T truth—it's uh it's one of the most freeing things that you can understand.
1: Yeah, what I specifically like about that chapter too is, you know, Josh and I really kind of lay it all out there with with the the truths that we've had to, to admit and mm-hmm. that were hard to admit. But uh, you know, you asked earlier what's different about this book and certainly mm-hmm. there are things in that chapter that uh, we have never talked about before. So it was really freeing to kind of get it all out on the pages and and uh, it, and that's really what Josh and I are trying to do. We're not trying to like tell people what to do. We're just trying to share our story and show people that you know there are ways to start over. There are ways to begin again. And I think that that chapter specifically with truth uh, helps people to get there.
0: Yeah. I mean, you absolutely have to be completely honest with yourself when you're going through this process, because I think you have to face a lot of things that you, again, have been pacifying you or that you've been relying on and you're dependent on. So I, I think it can be difficult, but it's so what is true freedom when we're actually truthful with ourselves? For a lot of my listeners, I feel like they're on a journey to simplify their lives, but they don't want to sacrifice style, which I completely understand and that's why I was excited to partner with Home Threads. Home Threads is the perfect blend of minimalism and comfort for your home. Just do a quick search for Tecovas on social media, and you'll see how adorably styled these boots can be. Visit tecovas.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and point your toes west. All right, what about self?
1: You know, the self chapter, really, its I feel like it's a health chapter disguised as, as self because we focus a lot on just our, our well-being, and it's something that we forsake a lot, and you know I think one of my my favorite parts of that chapter it's, it's a few subsections, but we talk a lot about free medicine, and the free medicine's available to us to to help us feel better to help us function better to help us have more energy uh it's It's really like i said it just kind of its disguises a health chapter,
0: mhm. No, that's that's really good. I can't wait for people to dive more into that one. I think you say some things not a lot of people have, and I think that it's going to be really eye opening to a lot of readers. So,
2: we've through we've been through a lot, you know, mm-hmm. chapter was sort of holding up a mirror and, and being like, oh, wow, wow, you know, whether it's yeah. depression or it's drug abuse, alcohol abuse, infidelity, a lot of these things that have happened in our past, you know, that, that's not me. That is a ancestor of me that has birthed the current me that is living in the eternal now. Right. Mm -hmm. So I can learn from that past. I can glance in the rear view and reflect on that, but I don't have to live in the rear view either because the past does not equal the future. That's not where I'm going. That's simply where I've been.
0: Yeah. And I find peace in that. I, I don't know. Cause I mean, I have not a perfect past and I have similar things that I've experienced in my life, but yeah, I, the person that I am now is so detached from that person. And and that doesn't define me. And so I think that there's a piece to say, look how far I've come, look at where I'm going and the freedom that's where I'm going. So I don't, I think that if people stop dwelling on the negative as- aspects, maybe of their past or just not, and that, that's easier said than done, obviously that takes maybe some mental work, but I think that we shouldn't let it get us down and just stay down.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's really where the lessons come from, right? It's like when people like you, people like Josh, people like me, when we talk about those, you know, kind of troubled pasts and how right. we've been able to let go of that. I mean, mm-hmm. people are really when they see our stories, they're really looking at themselves, right. and and hopefully we are
2: giving them the the inspiration to let go of their past because. Mm -hmm. None of us have perfect pasts. And by the way, Ryan, you and I, the things we've gone through, a lot of people have gone through these things but Mm -hmm. no one's talking about it because of the shame. Yeah. And so what we're trying to do, especially now when you see it on social media and online, it's everyone projecting this perfect image. It's a 2D image of a 3D flawed life. And what Ryan and I did is we cut ourselves open and poured our guts onto the page. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. No, I, I really appreciated that. All right. Let's go into money. What is the takeaway that you want listeners to have from that section?
1: All right. Here's the biggest money lesson. They could just skip this chapter as long as they follow (laughs) one piece of advice. Okay. There's no such thing as good debt.
2: Oh, Mm -hmm. yes. And and although, but what about this? And the the interest rate is so low right now, Ryan. And wait, all Ryan is saying is there's no such thing as good debt. The, Mm -hmm. the, the, Debtor is always slave to the lender, and so you have an option: you can be free or you can be in debt. You can't be both. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Do you guys? This is just a side note. Do you follow the whole Dave Ramsey the idea of just not even taking out a mortgage? I, I just feel like there are some debts that we it's hard to work around. But also, as you said, you're not saying not to do that. You're just saying debt is not good.
2: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying that you need to do anything. There's Don't no judgment mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. There's no judgment. I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm simply saying that if you want to be free, you can't also be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Dave's a friend of ours. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that um, everything that he teaches these are mm-hmm. fundamental principles, right? Now mm-hmm. he's a little bit more hard edge than Ryan and I are, and a little bit more, he can be more militant with these things. And mm-hmm. He'll admit that to you. He'll be the first person to admit that to you. But yeah, we we're certainly simpatico on the avoiding debt front.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, I, guess, I agree. Like,
1: the only thing I'll add to this is like, yeah, there, there are some debts that are better than others, right? Like a 30 year fixed rate mortgage is going to be a little bit better than a corner store payday loan with mm-hmm. a with the 20% interest rate. So certainly there are there are some debts that are better than others. However, would you rather have a mortgage or no mortgage? I mean, the answer is pretty obvious.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Value.
2: Yeah, so your your values are what you are s- not what you say they are. They are what you do with your time. So I can show you what you value if you show me your calendar and your bank Mm -hmm. statements because what you spend your money on, basically what you spend your time and your resources on, that's going to help me to determine what you actually value. And of course, we all say that we value certain things. Oh, I value my health or I value my family or I value my friends or I value my creativity or I value my job or I value whatever it might be. But however you spend your 24 hours in the day, that's what we really value.
0: Mm -hmm. It's that whole idea of people will say, oh, I don't have enough time to do fill in the blank. And I've, I've made the list. I've actually sat down and written out the list of what I'm actually doing versus what I'm prioritizing. And there is a disconnect there. And that's something that I think is helpful to do as well to really face what it is that you're prioritizing and fixing the disconnect and moving forward.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think you bring up a great example, because I think about like, oh, I don't know, let's say I had a child. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to have time for them every day. But, you know, I, I always made these excuses like, oh, you know, I don't have as much time as I wanted. Well, now all of a sudden, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, God forbid, something happens to my child where they need dialysis every single day.
3: Mm-hmm. and
1: all of a sudden now i'm going to prioritize like oh wow i have to spend time with my child bringing them to the hospital every single day because their life depends on it so yeah. yes i agree that yeah sometimes we just have to find the right leverage and i think when we get clear in our, va- our values it helps us get there it helps us to get that leverage we need people often ask hey what's what's your definition of happiness and you know first i'll say like happiness you know really isn't the point anymore for me uh, living a meaningful life is the point. Now, when you live a meaningful life, happiness just happens to be a byproduct that you get every once in a while. But the the way to live a meaningful life is our short-term actions aligning with those values. So I, I think we do a really good job of helping
2: people see that in that chapter.
0: Absolutely. All right. We have two more. The next one is creativity.
2: You know, we can't really talk about creativity without talking about our relationship with distractions. We're so heavily mediated right Mm. i have a distraction machine in in my pocket uh in fact there's a quote from the google ethicist uh he talks about how the smartphone he refers to the smartphone as our 79th organ and then ronnie chang the (laughs) comedian has that great joke where he he talks about it feels like every night in america is a competition to see how many screens i can get between my face and the wall you start with the TV on the wall and then it's my laptop and then my iPad, my iPhone and boom, my Apple watch. All of a sudden I've got five screens, five mm-hmm. different bits of distraction between me and the wall. And By the way, mm-hmm. it's me staring at the wall for a moment that is probably going to I'm going to get far more value from that than any of those those screens because it's not about what's going on externally and the external validation and everybody else's input, but it's about subtracting. And so really we have to talk about our relationship with distractions and specifically tech distractions. It's not a new idea. I mean, 2000 years ago, the Stoics talked about getting rid of your books, but today having a book sort of feels like a luxury, right? Because like, who has time to read a book when I've got all these mm-hmm. other screens and distractions and TikTok and, and Instagram and, and everything else? There's nothing morally wrong with those things. Uh, the problem is they're making us miserable. Well, mm-hmm. why are they making us miserable? Because fundamentally, we're creators. Mm-hmm. We have the desire to create. We've been told that we're consumers, especially by advertisers and marketers, uh, to consume their products. And, and that's partially true. We, we do need to consume some stuff, but we're much more creators than we are consumers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the only
1: thing I'll add to that is with, with social media, I mean, the way it is today, everyone has a megaphone. And I think that that megaphone, it apes the form of creativity. It's like it's this fake creation. And really, I mean, the creative things that come out in us, it has nothing to do, very rarely does it have anything to do with technology. So I, everyone out there, I think, has the desire to create in some way, and uh, yeah, that, that chapter really helps people get clear on that.
0: Something that I think about a lot with my kids, just as a mom of three, I want their creativity just to keep overflowing out of them, especially at these ages. And so it is something that I try to be really diligent about getting the screens out of their way, because I know when they're just sitting there with TV, it is pretty much mindless. You don't have to think a lot when you're watching television. And so I try to keep that at bay. And so I think that we can even apply some of the principles in that that chapter specifically to the things that we're doing with our kids.
2: Yeah. I'm happy to talk more about kids as well. We can get through the the people part. Yeah. Here. Let's
0: talk about people and then we'll, we'll talk more about kids and motherhood.
2: Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Since I, Ryan and I are both, uh, we're great at motherhood.
0: <laughs> I guess what, you, yeah, we'll talk about your encouragement to moms, maybe as yeah, we'll we'll hear what you have to say, but let's get through people
2: first. I'll tell you, I'll talk about my wife's own uh yeah, motherhood as well. <laughs> lessons I've learned from her uh, uh over the last eight years. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk about people because ultimately that that's that's where we wanted this book to go. We thought it was gonna be a relationship book in the traditional sense, but then we realized, like, oh, the relationship I really need to understand. You know, you might even say fix, so I'll put that in quotes, right? But but uh the relationship that I want to understand is all the broken relationships that are within me but then of course we have a language problem you know we we use this word love it hints the title of the book love people use things you know ryan Mm -hmm. and i have recognized that for a long time we used people and loved things and that is a broken equation but the problem is we have a language problem you might say you love your kids but you also love burritos right Mm -hmm. i love my best friend ryan but i also love the new matt carney album Right. And it's like, well, okay. Yeah. But, or I love my daughter, but I also love the colors of the flowers in my neighborhood. And one love is, 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 it's about sort of bottomless devotion. A birth from a deep affection, right? And the other is just sort of like, oh, it's my preference. I like the color blue. I love the color blue, right? <laughs> One is we're talking about a like, an extreme like, is what we're. I I extremely like burritos. That's what we mean when we say I love burritos. And of course, we we just don't have the distinction. The the Inuit dialect spoken in none of it in in Canada, they have fifty three different words to describe snow. Now. Mm-hmm. We don't even have five words to describe love. So we don't have 10% of that to describe love. And we're just talking snow, not Mm -hmm. nearly as important as love, which is everywhere all the time, all around us. And so we stretched love to apply to everything. People and pickup trucks, friends and fried chicken, lovers and Louis Vuitton bags. But whenever you stretch something beyond its natural limits, it loses its strength. And I think that's especially true with love.
0: I haven't made it through that chapter yet. That's, I'm, I'm almost there. but
2: so There's a, a section called the symbiosis of love. And then uh, we we talk to Erwin Raphael McManus, who is a futurist and an iconoclast and, and just a brilliant person when it comes to relationships. He's actually doing a, a live event with us. It's free for anyone who wants to join us the day the book comes out on, on July 13th. And um, we're going to be talking. about healing our relationship with people. And and so you you know, the the very last section of the book is called Love is More, you know, because we always hear less is more, right? Mm. And that's true. You'd be able to subtract is how we find more in Mm. our lives. But I I think that we also want to better understand love. And and so because it's heavy. heavy. Real love is is heavy. And and I don't think the biggest challenge is even love itself. It's Mm -hmm. we've conflated love with excitement and lust and attraction. Nothing wrong with those things. Those things Mm -hmm. can all be wonderful, but they aren't love. And I think there's nowhere that's more evident than than in our material possessions. We say we love our televisions, our cars, our our cosmetics, um, but we're confused by that, right? We're blinded by the propaganda that tells us the things in our homes are just as important as the people in our lives,
3: mm-hmm.
0: it's so funny. I don't have time to go through this can of worms, but I think about that all the time. I am not a skeptic of love when people first get married, but I feel like over the past few years, I'm like, is that really love? Are we actually in love? Or are we in lust? And then, love is through struggles and knowing someone through different seasons and years and experiences mm-hmm. and. I don't know. Maybe that's me being jaded, but I don't like to define it necessarily as that anymore. I think maybe I've, again, I've seen too many relationships fall apart and I'm like, did you really love, did you really go through? And maybe the answer is yes, but I think I like the idea of using different terms and knowing ourselves well enough to say, this is how I feel about this. And I think in saying all of that, sorry, I kind of did open the can of worms (laughs) in saying all of that, I think I feel like I love my husband more now, 10 years in, than I did when I first got married to him. But that's because we've been through hard times and we've been through good times, but there were struggles there too. And I think when we apply that to, like you said, if love is coming out of all this stuff as we are whittling down things in our homes or just applying this to all these topics you're talking about, there is a struggle there, but does the struggle really help us determine what it is that we want to love, like actually love and prioritize? So I don't know, you just made me... It made me connect two things that I've been thinking about.
2: Mm, there's so many places to go with that. My wife and I, we actually have a, a podcast called How to Love. And mm-hmm. and it, what we would do is we try to explore and, and understand. And, and what we've really learned is that you know, Ryan used to say this thing all the time. I remember when we were in our 20s, and if he was dating someone new, he would say, I'm in like with you. <laughs> and generally, I, th- that was the most honest thing. But Ryan's always been the most honest person I've known. Mm-hmm. and And he, whenever he said that it was he was there was a this the epitome of honesty there because that's really what we mean when we say I. I love you most of the time because mm-hmm. yeah, Diane, I have no problem telling you I love you because you're a human being and I love human beings. And, and that's mm-hmm. not a problem. But also when we're thinking about relationships, often the, re- the reason relationships don't work is there's a whole bunch of other reasons we write about in the book, but compatibility and chemistry and, and some other things that, uh, that, that really send us off the rails. Love is important, but love mm-hmm. is not enough for a thriving relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that's so good. I feel like you're right. We could go down so many paths, but we are almost out of time. And I want to get a final word of encouragement to the parents. I- we won't say moms. We'll say to the parents that are listening. What is something that they can do to just make their life more simplistic, intentional, and apply these different things that you've said um, throughout our talk and also in your book to their lives?
2: You know, I think that this is going to come off the wrong way. So so bear with me for a moment. Okay. okay? hmm Parenting is detrimental to children.
0: Okay.
2: I've learned one thing in my eight years as a parent or a little under eight years, I suppose. Um, uh, I think that as an adult, I have more knowledge than my eight-year-old daughter. She might tell you otherwise, but um, yes, I, I have more knowledge than her for sure. But children are so much more wise than us. I mean, intuitively wise, not wise as in, as in lived experience. It's a different kind of wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. But our children are so wise, and they're much more wise than their conditioned parents. And so, consequently, I think we're better served by learning from our kids than we are from, quote, parenting them. Mm-hmm. One of the, my favorite philosophers who is a mystic, his name is Kapil Gupta. He, he said, Adults are fools. Children are wise. For children, everything is new. The adult hasn't seen a new thing in years.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really good.
2: <laughs> you know, it, for me, it's, I'm not a
1: parent. So mm-hmm. it's really, really easy for me to give parental advice, right? Looking from the outside <laughs> and not truly understanding it. But here's, here's one thing I feel pretty uh, safe to say for, for any parent.
3: Mm-hmm. Is that
1: the number one job of a parent, the number one job, is to enjoy your children. Mm-hmm. That should be priority number one. And then from there, of course, you want to help a child set boundaries. But telling a child what to do, I mean, I I know that for me, when my parents tried to tell me what to do, it really worked. But when they, <laughs> but when when they help me set boundaries for myself, I mean, it's something that would work a little bit better. So uh rule number 1 is yeah enjoy your enjoy your child figure out how to do that first and then yes if you need to set some boundaries help your child set some boundaries with without telling them exactly what to do because here's the thing is you want to tell your kid uh and again so easy for me to give advice with no with no with no kids but i would say you want to tell your child yes as much as possible so when you do say no that no actually means something and when you do mm-hmm. say no let that child know what you are saying yes too because every time you're saying no to something for a child you're actually saying yes to something else Mm
0: -hmm. no those that's great advice and i'm sure you've been around enough parents to kind of glean some wisdom from different individuals around you and so i think that was great advice
2: ryan's basically a parent he raised (laughs) i I did
1: yeah i have i have a bunch of half siblings that uh that that, that, i've changed all their diapers i have babysat them all for you know hours and hours and hours so i I have a little (laughs) experience in that but um you know, I had the privilege of being able to just turn them over when I was done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that bedtime, uh, those bedtime hours are, are definitely rough. But I like the idea of whatever you're saying no to, you're saying yes to something else and just focusing on the positives. I think like going back to that is really important, but yeah. great. Well, where can listeners find you, your podcast and your new book?
1: They can find everything at The Minimalists. That's plural, The Minimalists.com. Com. They can find our podcasts, they can find our books, they can find our documentaries, they can find what hair products Josh Fe- Joshua Fields Milburn uses. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love All right. it. All right. One of my new questions that I've been asking everyone is, do you have something that you that is so dear to you that you could never part ways with, that you could never declutter, you could never minimize? Do you have something that you could say?
1: Man, I, I have some sentimental items that... Okay really um like for my my grandma gave me a beer stein from germany when i was 17 years old i have that i put change in that and Mm. that's probably the most sentimental item i have um it makes me think about my roots she was born and raised in germany during world war ii the stories that she has i mean that that is a reminder of that but what i'll say is throughout this whole journey of minimalism, I really have gained this superpower of being willing to walk away, Mm -hmm. being willing to let go of anything. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, certainly there are things that I uh, enjoy having in my life that augment my life. But ultimately, like when I think about that stein spontaneously combusting, Mm -hmm. I still know that I'm going to be able to live a meaningful life with or without that stein. So Mm -hmm. um, that's just my way of saying like, hey, if you have something that's sentimental, great. Um, if you have something that your life would be ruined, if
2: you lost, that might be something that, uh, that someone wants to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's so well said. Every attachment that we have is a form of clinging. And so I think a year ago, my, my answer would have been different to you, mm-hmm. Diane. And mm-hmm. I, would have, I would have had some cool answer about some thing or some person that I wouldn't be willing to let go of but mm-hmm. as ryan said the willingness to walk away is a particular kind of of freedom it doesn't mean that you must walk away it means that you're willing to uh, given the the circumstances right and mm-hmm. and that's not just I, i'm i'm willing to say that about even about people even about the people cl- maybe maybe even especially about the people closest to me because the opposite is also true mm-hmm. uh, Ryan doesn't want to be in this relationship that he and I have this friendship, this business partnership out of obligation mm. and, and nor do I that no. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine wanting to be in your marriage or being in your marriage just out of a sense of obligation? That's a mm-hmm. type of prison. And, and so when I talk about attachments, some people will often say, you know, certainly some attachments are healthy. You know, what about our attachment to family and friends to our community and our, our traditions and, and, Whatever else, right? Aren't those appropriate attachments for me? And and I would just say, consider that question from a different angle. If you replace the word attachment with clinging, that small change exposes the flaw in this idea of healthy attachments. Mm-hmm. And because some people say, well, certainly some attachments are healthy, right? Well, let mm-hmm. me just, well, certainly some clinging is healthy. Okay. Maybe if you're falling off a mountain. But the moment you've gotten to the gotten back to safety, you want to stop clinging. In fact, if you cling too long, then you'll you'll be dragged, right? And so mm. I don't care if it's a possession or people or your pride, clinging is not healthy. Every attachment mm. that we have is a tether that restricts our freedom. And so it's impossible for us to live in the moment if we're always fastened to the future. And it's also impossible to love fully. When we are confined by attachment, we often think of attachment as, as love, right? We've been told Mm by, by pop music and, and pop culture that to need someone is to love them. You hear this in songs all the time, right? Mm -hmm. But I need you. Wow. That's terrible. I don't need you to need me. Um, It's a lie. Mm -hmm. That's not love. That's a type of clinging, but we can experience the full spectrum of love when we're willing to let go and when we're willing to, as Ryan said, walk away, let go of the attachment, not the person, but mm-hmm. the attachment to the person or the thing. In fact, if you get rid of all your stuff, but you keep your attachment, you're going to be far more miserable, but mm-hmm. you could even let go of the attachment and hold on to some of the things. And they, they're they not going to, they're not going to have that same weight on you because with without all that clinging, the only thing that remains is love.
3: Mm-hmm. You
0: and you even shared the example of the family that lost their home to a fire. And in a way, I'm not saying that this would be beneficial to everyone, but it was a blank page and it was a new start. And it was like, we have one another and we don't have this unhealthy attachment anymore to these things. And again, that might not be the best example, but I did like that you shared that. And I was so curious to know your guys' answers because I I figured that you would say something like that because you do talk a lot about what you just said in your books. I'm glad that you took the time to answer that.
1: Yeah. Thanks for taking the time today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us.
0: Yeah. This was so wonderful. I appreciate you guys being here.
2: We appreciate you.
0: What did you think of the episode? I will give a plug for their book. I'm three quarters of the way finished and I have really enjoyed it so far. I love how research heavy it is. I'm someone that has to ask a lot of questions before I I jump on board with something, and so I really appreciated that fact that the research was just woven into the stories that they were telling. Even listening to this episode back as I was editing, I just think these guys are full of so much wisdom, and I think these two have done such wonders for this community, and I can't wait to see what else they do in the future. So, what are your thoughts? I invite you to keep the conversation going at minimalistmomspodcast.com. There, you'll find links to the Instagram account, Facebook page, and where you can find me all around the web. Thank you for joining up on this journey. I wish you a lovely week as you think more and do with us. At Parker, our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies.